You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey everyone, welcome down to the podcast. You know, sometimes you just have a great conversation with a like-minded individual. Well, that's what we have today as a part of our golf myths season where we have been tackling best practices that aren't quite true and some common phrases that we all say without much thought that maybe we should rethink. We're really trying to improve our understanding and our mindset around this game. Before we get to it, quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Adele Golf, and let's talk single-length irons. The idea is to make everything easy. Same ball position, similar swing, same plane. We're taking that easy eight or seven iron swing that you love and doing it with every iron in the bag. So the question is, how do you hit irons different lengths? Well, they have a few things going on. Progressive face thickness. And so Adele used multiple materials of varying face thicknesses throughout the set to maintain proper ball speeds for each specific iron. Another aspect is progressive internal cavity. By progressively decreasing the size of their internal cavities as the loft increases, they can control ball speed, resulting in better distance gapping throughout the set. As well as they optimize the center of gravity or the CG. Through multiple design features, they're able to create a vertically progressive center of gravity throughout the set. Lower CG in the lower lofted clubs, transitioning to higher CG in the higher lofted clubs to better control ball flight and improve launch conditions, shot dispersion, and feel by maximizing head stability. I think you should look into this more. We have a full podcast with David Adele where he tells the whole story of single length irons. You can find that at golfsciencelab.com slash Adele. And if you want to demo these, Adele has a demo program. Head over to Adele Golf. Check that out. Really cool. If you do get a set, Tag us at the Golf Science Lab on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know how it goes. Today's conversation is probably one that you should have with some of your golf friends after your next round. It's with a friend of mine and someone you probably know. My name's John Sherman. I own a site called Practical Golf. I started it just over three years ago, mainly because, you know, I'm a golfer and I love golf and it means a lot to me. And I just wanted to share all of the things about the game that I've learned over the years through a lot of trial and error, you know, ways that a golfer can manage themselves on the course, whether it's mental strategy, how to practice more effectively, you know, really, you know, people throw around their own coaching a lot. So it's really a coaching resource for golfers where you can come and just find actionable advice on how you can, you know, become a better golfer and more importantly, enjoy the game more. I talk a lot about managing expectations and I think, you know, we're going to discuss that today. So that's really what I'm all about. So as a practical golfer, John, I would like to be more consistent, right? Like that should be my goal. I'm going to get more consistent this year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The word consistency is thrown, you know, you, you could take a word in golf and give it so many different meanings and interpretations and, and consistency is one of those words. So there's so many different ways you can think about this. I mean, the fact of the matter is most golfers are consistent. <laughs> they can be consistently bad at something. They might have a flaw in their swing that they consistently reproduce. Um, so it's an interesting concept to tackle because there's a few different ways you can look at it but certainly you want to go out there and hit more shots that are 
quality on a more consistent basis. I think all of us want to do that, but you know, I think we'll talk about what's what's a reasonable expectation. So I think true consistency is not attainable in golf. It's just impossible. So I'd, I'd start it there. Like yeah. you, you, you can never truly be consistent at this game. And you even see that at the highest level. You'll see, you know, one day a guy will shoot a 65 and then the next day he comes out and shoots a 76 and he looks like two different golfers. So is that consistent? No, it's not. So, I mean, we typically hear this the most of you're playing with a friend, right? And he knocks it stiff on a par three. And then the next hole, he just like chunks it short right in the bunker. And he's like, ah, man, you know, I just got to need to get more consistent with my irons. (laughs) And I, I mean, that is really common, right? I think we've all heard that at some point. Sure. I think that's what is frustrating about this game is that no matter how how great you are as a golfer even intermediate to beginner players everyone's capable of hitting that great shot from time to time like that one you just mentioned where you stick it on the pin and then you're like well why can't i do that all the time well it's i mean for a number of reasons the the overriding reason is the golf swing is incredibly complicated and difficult to reproduce so that's what's I, I think is the hardest thing to wrap your head around this game is that we're capable of hitting the great shot, but we're unable to reproduce it on a consistent basis. And I think that's a concept that some golfers never really wrap their head around. And that's one of the large reasons why they're mostly unhappy when they play. And it took me a long time to understand what's reasonable in my own game. So Everyone can sympathize with that, where they hit the great shot and then they look like a fool on the next one. Even the pros. I mean, again, that they've you see them hit shots where you're like, wow, how did he do that? I mean, Jordan Spieth won the Open last year when he hit his driver. What was that, 100 yards to the right? <laughs> yep. It happens. So, yeah. it, you know, this is like, again, it's one of the most complicated things to understand as a player. And, you know, I try and repeat the message of man- managing expectations over and over again because... That's largely how you shape your experience in this game. Yeah. And I think this idea of I need to be more consistent, that phrase comes from our our expectations, right? I think that is the root of it, if if I'm looking at this correctly. And I have um, Scott Fawcett's decade card here in front of me. And on this card, he's got a few stats here. And we were just talking about irons. So here's a, a green in regulation. So if you are 150 to 200 yards away, he just has on here 68% average of hitting the green. And that is a PGA Tour professional. I know for you and I, it's going to be less than that. And for, you know, a a 15 handicapper that's hanging out with us listening today, it's going to be, you know, way less than that. (laughs) However, our expectations tell us that I need to hit this green, right? I have I'm maybe I'm in the fairway. I'm 150 yards out. If I don't hit this like nine out of 10 times, I'm a loser, right? And that is just killing us. Yeah. The And again, Scott's system is excellent because it gives that perspective to people. And one of the easiest ways to do it is really to show the PGA Tour stats because they're not nearly as good as you think they are. I mean, they're obviously incredible. But for the guy who's standing on that par three expecting to hit the green every time, it's just um, it's really a ridiculous assumption when you step back and think about it. But that doesn't stop people from getting angry at themselves when they do miss the green. 
you know, a great example. And one of the reasons I probably started my site is watching my father learn the game. I kind of have this backwards thing in my life where I learned the game on my own and my dad didn't take it up until he was 60. So I tried to teach him a lot of things about the game and he got fairly good pretty quickly. But the one thing he couldn't understand was that, you know, he'd be on the range hitting hundreds of balls and hitting great shots. And he's like, I get on the course and I can't hit it at all. And he just couldn't wrap his head around the difference between the range and playing a live round. And it made him very frustrated and upset. And he doesn't, you know, really love the game that much because he still can't wrap his head around that. Yeah. So we have all these golfers who kind of torture themselves because they expect way too much of their performance and abilities when the game is probably more inherent. Like we all know it's a difficult game, but it's probably even more difficult when you look at these stats than we think. So yeah. it's, you know, it's good news, bad news. Like if you, no one wants to miss a green, but if you do, it's kind of like, well, that's okay. You know, I, I was supposed to, did I miss it on the right side? Did I leave myself an easier chip shot uh, to get up and down or at least make bogey at worst. Like that's, that's how you, you know, lower your scores is you're, you're managing your misses and making smarter decisions with your targets and all of that stuff. So that's, you know, all part of this conversation of what's consistency. It's mostly inconsistency is the answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, just, we think about stories, you know, you watch Tiger Woods, right? And, he can scrape together a score with you know his driver going left and right in all kinds of directions and yet is still able to do it so you know here's a guy that's going to be in the trees a lot and he's able to to scrape it around and get it under par whereas for us you know we hit one in the trees or we hit one in the water or something and it's like holy cow how did i just slice that offline like that well that's because it's in your shot dispersion. It's going to happen to you. It It's not, you know, uh, this is such a shocking surprise that one ball goes, you know, 20 yards right and the other goes 40 yards left or whatever it might be. It's it's like this is going to happen. That needs to be your expectation of sometimes it's going to happen. And yeah, that's OK because it, it happens to everybody. Yeah, the best uh, I would tell anyone who's listening to this because I've gone through it myself. You know, I had a period in my life where I wasn't very happy as a golfer and I wasn't playing well, I would get very angry at myself and my temper would flare up. And I can tell you for certainty through my own experience and also watching players of all levels ranging from, you know, top tournament players down to beginner golfers, your ability to laugh at yourself and kind of shrug off those mistakes is absolutely linked to your ability to shoot lower scores because that is part of the game you are going to hit horrible shots and i can tell you from my own experience that the rounds where i've been able to laugh it off and just accept it there's no question that i shot lower scores overall and that's you know largely why everyone wants to play this game is because they want to shoot lower scores it's very difficult to do in the moment, you know, when you hit that shot, your your first reaction is anger and frustration. But if, if your ability to shrug it off and continue and focus on why you're there in the first place, which is to have fun and be outdoors and, and compete and do all of this stuff, to me, like that's the most important tool in any golfer's arsenal is the ability to hit a horrible shot and just be like, okay, that happened. What's next? and just kind of shrug it off or even laugh at yourself. 
that's a such an important thing to do. It's hard to do, but uh, I, I do believe it's one of the, the best things to work towards as a golfer. So this past year, or last season, I, I was playing in some tournaments. I qualified for our state AM. I shot a good round to get into that. And then I got there and I played really poorly the first day. Well, I shouldn't say really poorly. I just played bad the first day. And I couldn't get over it when I was in the round. I was just so frustrated and so angry that I was having a bad day, right? And I just had really high expectations coming in because I like I like playing well, <laughs> as we all do, right? Uh, but it's important to know that you are going to have good and bad days. So Dr. Rick Jensen, fantastic sports psychologist, has this bell curve concept so that your scores are on a, a bell curve, which a bell curve is like an upside down U but kind of stretched out. So you're going to have your good days. You're going to have your bad days and a bunch in the middle. And it doesn't matter if you are a PGA Tour player, or you're trying to break 100. We all have that bell curve, except the, the middle of that curve for a PGA Tour Pro is going to be way lower than mine. So, uh, you know, if you look at the PGA Tour, the lowest score of the season and the highest score of the season are, you know, there's a huge difference. I forget there was some stat about like what the average was or something, but it was a huge difference. However, the majority of the scores are bulked right in the middle. So we all have to have this expectation of like, I don't know what score is going to show up today, whether I'm going to be at the, the, the side of that bell curve I want to be on when you shoot a really nice score and you're super happy and you feel like, you know, you should go to Q school or the bad score where you want to quick off and, you know, cancel everything. So having that understanding is is really helpful i'm not saying that you're going to suddenly be a happier person because i still get frustrated and mad even though i know this but there's a concept for you john what do you think yeah it's a fantastic concept and i talk about it i guess in a similar way is that it's easy to you know when you have your great days when like things are clicking you're getting the good bounces like and you're going to shoot your your best score that you're possible of shooting that's easier to do. Those days don't happen as much, but like, you know, that's every golfer is capable of doing that. It's going to happen from time to time. Whenever I talk to someone who's like really looking to improve and lower their handicap. And for me, I, I can see it in my own game. The real challenge and the real progress comes on those days when you're not playing as well and your swing might not be behaving as well. Your ability to make your worst score less worse, if that makes sense, I think is one of the true keys to improving as a golfer. So, you know, when you show up to the course and you've played four or five holes and like you just have that feeling like I don't have it today. I know in my own game, those could lead to like blow up rounds where I would shoot, you know, for me, a, a very bad score. But when I've seen the transformation of my own game to becoming a better golfer and having a lower handicap is now those days where I'm going to struggle, I'll probably shoot five or six strokes lower than I would have in the past by not, you know, checking out mentally, making more aggressive, poorer decisions, which we tend to do when we're playing poorly and just sticking with it. Like you mentioned, you had a bad experience in a tournament last year. I played in the, um, the U.S. mid-amateur qualifier. And I was really pumped up. I didn't think I was going to make it, but I knew I was capable of making it if I played very well. And I think through like seven holes, I was 
one or two over, I was playing okay. And then all of a sudden I make two double bogeys in a row and it just felt like someone punched me in the gut. And to be honest, I really wanted to walk off the golf course. Every every instinct in my body is I got to get out of here. But I was like, don't do it. So I kind of muddled along. I made a birdie and then another double bogey. And I'm just like, oh, I'm definitely not going to make it. But I stuck through it. And I think I played the last eight holes at one under par on a fairly difficult course. I didn't make the cut or anything. But, you know, that experience of grinding it out, sticking with it and not checking out mentally, like you can take that and put it to future rounds. So it gets back to the concept is, you know, on most days you're going to play your okay golf or your mediocre golf. What can you do to kind of save that round to the best of your ability? To me, that's what improvement really is. So the number one PGA Tour player at this moment of the recording is Justin Thomas. I hopped on to PGATour.com to do some research for us. And uh, at just a quick glance, looks like his highest round this year is a 75 and his lowest is a 62 <laughs> and his it's average pretty, is a, pretty six, good. a 69 right yeah but for for me or for anyone listening that might be like my lowest of this year is a 71 my highest is a 85 86 and most of the scores are grouped in 70 eight or 79 right like that would be a normal district let's say you're trying to break 90 you're that whole that curve is going to shift and so we all got to understand that there are going to be those days right there are a lot of days when you're not happy like i see there's like a bunch of set there's a 74 75 75 71 70 70 probably not great happy days for for justin but you keep playing because those days are going to happen and if you quit then well, I mean, that's just not golf. Not Golf is not like, hey, you said Bob Rotel in your quick questions. Uh, golf is not a game perfect. So you've got to accept those. And like you said, you have to figure out how to stay engaged in the process and understand that when you face difficulties, when you face challenges, that is when you are truly learning. When we look at learning literature, you know, it might not feel like a learning during a round which you wanted to play well, but it is a great chance to embrace that challenge. Because in that challenge, that is where there's true learning that you can find for yourself. So on the fly statistics, there you go. Yeah, and it's it's all like, what do you really want out of this game? You know, for some people, it might not matter. Like, they don't want to sit there and grind it out. They just want to go out there, hit a few balls around, drink a beer with friends. And if you don't care about the score, that's fine. But for a lot of golfers, I see they kind of want it both ways where like they want to get the lower handicap and shoot the better scores. But at the same time, they're not willing to, you know, go through the the harder times, which, again, I don't want to make this seem like we're in some horrible battle because we're playing golf, but it's a battle against yourself. And on those days where like it just seems a lot harder like that's where you really got to dig in. And that's you're absolutely correct is I feel like those are the best learning opportunities and you can bring them forward is because when you do have those days where you don't feel like you have it and you did fight and stick around and maybe you had a good back nine, that's positive, you know, mental energy, whatever piece in your mental library that you can look back on and draw from in future rounds. So again, you can't have it both ways. Like if you want to, you're going to play well on the days you're going to play well, that's great. But, you know, maintaining perspective on the days where things aren't going so well and trying to turn, you know, for some golfers, their worst score is like 105. 
you can make that 105 into a 98, I think quite easily by just staying mentally engaged and not just like, you know, rinsing a bunch of balls in the, in the water when you've, you've, you've checked out mentally. That's really like you want to go from the 20 handicap to the 15. Like that's a pretty easy way to do it is just being like, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> yeah, I, I just refuse to give up. And uh, again, what's realistic in terms of your expectations and consistency. So it's all linked together and it's all a kind of a part of the game that I think a lot of people don't want to talk about because it's a little harder when yeah. things aren't going well. It's hard for me to watch people get angry over things that you shouldn't be getting angry about on the golf course, right? And I'm preaching sure. to myself here. So Yeah, um, <laughs> no, we're all, I mean, neither you you and me are not above this. No. Uh, no one is. I mean, Tiger Woods, get him. he gets angry at himself all the time. It's because we care. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you can't put it behind you. You know, I think Jordan Spieth's a great example of that. Like, you'll see him blow off some steam, but, you know, two minutes later, he's back and focused again. So no one's above this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's having the clarity to understand, like, all right. Why am I mad? Okay, you hit one bad shot. You know, maybe it went in the water. Cool. We're all going to do that. It sucks. It's frustrating. But hey, it's fine because it's going to happen. And guess what? You don't have to do that again. You can just go on and hopefully that doesn't happen again. I mean, yeah. maybe this is my new my new thing. It's just a more mindfulness approach. I've been hanging out with Dr. Greg Carton a bunch. We did a course on mindfulness and, you know, just being aware of our thoughts, I think, is is one part of the battle that a lot of us aren't good at. I know I'm not good at it of just being aware of like, Hey, wh- what am I doing? You know, what's going on in my head right now? And like, geez, that is, I can think that for a time. Sure. We all think it it's, it, it's part of the thing, but then, all right, let's, let's keep going. Let's stay present. What's the next shot? Because that doesn't have to affect what I'm doing going forward. No, it doesn't. I mean, there, there's a guy I actually try not to play with him because of what I'm about to tell you. This guy loves golf. He's obsessed with it. You know, it's a big part of his life, but he's got this horrible temper and a really poor outlook on the game. I've played with this guy and I've seen him on the first hole on the first tee shot. He'll hit a bad shot. He's I could tell he's done for the day. That's it. He'll be complaining and be angry and muddling around the rest of the round. And I don't say anything to him because, you know, that's I'm not going to start preaching to him while he's playing during his round. But I look at someone like that. And and to be honest, that used to partly be what I was like. I would, you know, if I had a few bad shots, I might check out the rest of the round. But it's like, why? Why are you even here then? You know, whether that shot happened on the opening tee shot or on the 16th hole, like, yes, you are going to hit that horrible shot. But to let it ruin your day. I mean, golf's a very time-consuming activity. It's four to six hours, depending on where you're playing. To walk around the rest of the day in a sour mood, which will absolutely make you play worse, you really do have to step back. And you know, this is certainly mindfulness and be like, why am I here? What are my goals as a golfer? Am I looking to enjoy myself and have fun and play better? So I look at someone like that and it's like, what's the point? You know, if you're just going to get angry at yourself and, and be in a foul mood the rest of the time, then I don't, why are you even playing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people like they, they couldn't consider not playing, but it's least take a step back and think about this. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, we know that tension is not good for the golf swing because no. it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's not a good performance state, right? That's what it's all about. A lot of 
stuff that I have read on the mental game and research that I think is really interesting is about the states that we're in when we pull the trigger and, you know, the performance states when people perform their best is not, you know, there's a lot of tension from stress, from anger. That's, you know, that's not going to help you getting angry and bringing that tension from the last, from the past into the shot that you're over right now that's not going to, that's not going to help you perform better. And, and there's research about performance states, which can, which can help you understand that better. But yeah, you, you have to, that is your sacred space. That is um, the ladies of vision 54 say you're in your play box there. That is a space when you cannot have, you can't have that tension and stress creep into it. Yeah. I would tell anyone who's, cause I, I've gone through this struggle myself. Like if you're in like a horrible rut and you're not enjoying yourself and like, maybe you're a little too obsessed with your score. I just blow the whole thing up. Maybe stop playing for a month or two, stop keeping score, do something to kind of hit a reset button and make you really think about why you're playing the game and what's reasonable to expect of your own golf game. And sometimes that means stepping away from the game for a while. Like I did that myself where I almost didn't play for a whole year. And they always say, you know, what's that quote where they say uh, distance or whatever makes the heart grow fonder. And you know, it made yep. me really appreciate golf and why I wanted to play the game. And it gave me a new appreciation for it. But, you know, if you are not enjoying yourself and, and you you have all this tension in your body, which certainly is going to inhibit your ability to swing a golf club properly, do something completely different <laughs> yeah. because what you're currently doing is not working. So I would take a huge step back and be like, okay, what's, what's the plan here? <laughs> yeah. Am I, am I here to have fun? Is this a leisure activity? I'm not going to play on the PGA tour. I just hate seeing that because I know it destroyed my love of the game for several years. And I certainly want to help golfers avoid doing that by help managing their expectations, which is why I think a conversation like this is so helpful because, you know, we all struggle with these things. No one's alone on this. We can't help, but as human beings to, you know, have, I think humans in general are horrible at managing expectations and probably one of the reasons that leads to a lot of unhappiness in our lives. So anything you can do to step backwards and, and give yourself a new perspective is, is I think going to make you perform better and be happier. So when you said you had to step back and kind of you, you take a step back, get away from it because you just kind of lose. I don't know if you said the word confidence, but I was here like you lose your confidence and your ability. Oh, it was every I just lost yeah. everything. Like I lost my ability to play well. I had no idea where the ball was going. It was just um, it was a mess. <laughs> I, I think of this. There's this word called self-efficacy and. Uh, apologies to everyone for the fancy words trying to sound important but um <laughs> I, I like this word and I, I i always think about it but it's like it's our belief in our ability to succeed and, and accomplish what we're trying to do uh self-efficacy and it's important to have the 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 elite performers are the best of something have a lot have a really good self-efficacy in their their belief in their ability to succeed right and when we set really high expectations and then we don't meet them as we obviously can't a hundred percent of the time we really lose that self-advocacy and and we'd really lose our belief in our ability to to do well right so it's just kind of that snowball effect of what expectations can do to um kind of all aspects of of the game john it's been fun to hang out and chat with you for a bit here appreciate it people want to check out what you're up to 
What are so, what are some of your favorite things that you've done or the content that you've created lately that you think everyone should go check out? Man, I have written a lot over the last few years. There's like 250 articles on my site. But I think the things that I'm most proud of on the site were, you know, are articles where I discuss stuff like this, where, you know, I'm sharing, you know, my own personal experiences sometimes and my own frustrations with the game and, and trying to help you as a golfer adjust your expectations based on what I've gone through and kind of how I've come through the other side of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm most proud of the content where I talk about I love talking about strategy because I think that's tied to the mental game, you know, making smarter decisions around the course. You know, I certainly like talking about, you know, instances where you're thinking about what golf means to you and, and what's the point of playing. So, you know, there's tons of articles like that on my site. You can certainly go through them all, but that's the stuff I'm most proud of because I'll, I'll get emails from people being like, Hey, you know, I read a few of your articles not only did I play better, but I'm having so much more fun on the golf course because you kind of like freed me of those shackles that I was putting on myself. So, yeah, that's what gives me the most satisfaction of, you know, having practical golf is because this game means something to me and I know it means something to other people. And I just want to help you have more fun and enjoy it more because, like I said a million times, what's the point if you're not? Yep, Absolutely. So your website, people should check that out. You have a new tool with courses and instructors on there, which is, uh, yep. which is really awesome. Uh, and then Twitter, is that the best place to probably say yeah, hi or I'm follow always, along? Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I never was on Twitter until I started the website, but now I'm like probably on it way too much. But yeah, feel free to chat with me at Practical Golf. Always happy to have a good conversation on there. And then, you know, you can visit my site. It's practical-golf.com. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. A big thank you to John Sherman for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to check out John's website, Practical Golf. Dive through some of his articles. He has some great stuff going on there. And if you want to continue this conversation and ask a question or chime in with your thoughts, make sure to do that on Twitter. John is at Practical Golf. I am at Cordy Walker or at Golf Science Lab, uh, either one. And tag us, let us know what you thought about this. We'd love to hear more from you. If you are not subscribed to the podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button. A review would be absolutely incredible. Helps more people find the podcast. And I would be forever grateful. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. It was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.